chapter 29 and just take one verse from there to kind of get a thought and then uh, it's kind of one of those subjects that I almost feel underqualified to preach about you know there's people who you sometimes you think about the other people who are out there who have a better grasp or a better handle on things than you and you feel like almost like a teenager like when you're a teenager and your parents are doing dishes and you're telling them how to do dishes better that like they're doing the dishes the wrong way and your parent just kind of looks at you like stop talking to me like I've been doing dishes twice as long as you've been alive like that's just what it feels like sometimes but you know it's what the Lord's uh laid on my heart and what I think he wants so uh it's what we're gonna do so Proverbs 29 verse 25 the fear of man bringeth a snare but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe and so the first question I really want to pose to you is, is the fear of man keeping you from being effective? Um, we'll pray and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, just uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word and just to um, be used of you for something. And I just pray that you would uh, use me in spite of me and that you would just, um, that your Holy Spirit would be here upon this place and that it would be pleasing to you and it would be an honor to you, Lord, and that you would just... Um, Give everyone here understanding and that uh, you would just have them to get what you'd want them to have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so when we're focused on other people and what they think, we set a trap for ourselves, right? And that's, that's what a snare is. I don't know, some of you are probably more familiar with snares than others, but a snare, you know, in its simplest form is you're going to have a piece of wire hanging off of a branch usually or some sort of tension and then you're gonna have something that's enticing on the other side of that snare. And it's gonna try and tempt whatever it may be, usually a small animal or game of some sort, to come step in that snare, and then the snare is gonna close down on them, and it's just gonna hold them in that same spot, and they're not gonna be able to go anywhere, is the, the main purpose of a snare. And the same way that when we get thinking of other people and what they think, what other men think, um, it's gonna do the same thing to us, where it's just gonna kinda grab you and trap you um, like a snare would. And so this thought kind of really came to me when um, we started doing these door hangers. And it's like, you're going through doing these door hangers and I felt kind of nervous. And I was like, why am I nervous? Like, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm just putting a door hanger on someone's door and walking away. Like, I'm giving them good news. Like, why am I nervous? And then the Lord kind of, you know, he brought this verse to my mind and it's that there's the fear of man that I was battling with, of that fear of man and the fear of rejection. And what is this man going to say? I know what God told me to do, but I'm still scared of what man's going to have me say. Um, and so we're just going to kind of look at some things to do with that. Um, so it's not wrong. So I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but it's not wrong to consider others, but you need to examine the motivation behind it. Why are you worried about what other people are thinking of you? Is it a right motivation? Is it a wrong motivation? Because sometimes it can be a good thing to think of what someone else would think if you're doing that, um, especially when it comes to sin, right? Um, we're going to go over to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, to, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, 
that as ye have received us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath given unto us this Holy Spirit, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Um, and so one of the things that you should consider when it comes to others is that very last verse there is that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without. So is the way that you're acting and presenting yourself, is that appear honest to people outside, right? Are you going to, do you look like you are an honest person or does it always seem like you're trying to pull something over on them or you're trying to trick them or you're trying to swindle them into something? Um, so if you're considering others from that standpoint, right, that's not necessarily a bad thing like having the fear of man is. Um, and so in that passage, right, there's a few things that you should be doing. Abstaining from fornication, possessing your vessel and sanctification and honor, um, not having the lust of concupiscence, which is just strange sins, uh, not defrauding your brother, not despising others, uh, increasing in brotherly love, being quiet and doing your own business, working with your own hands, and your walk should look and be honest to unbelievers. And so if you have, if you're doing those things, right, if you can look at your life and know, okay, I'm doing what God wants and I know I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, then you don't really need to worry about what man thinks of you or what man's opinion is of you because you know what God's opinion is of you and that he's pleased with what you're doing. Um, so if you do find yourself having a fear of Christians or other believers, then you might want to step back and take a second and evaluate some of those things. Are there some of those areas that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to? Is the reason that I have the fear there because I know that I'm lacking and I'm afraid that someone's going to catch me in what I'm doing? Um, you know, are the, is the brethren, are they really that judgmental and that self-righteous? Or is it just that the Holy Spirit keeps poking at your conscience and you just are refusing to do anything with it? Um, and so if you are doing the things you're supposed to, then that goes right back to the Proverbs 29, 25. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So if you're trusting in the Lord and those things and you're doing what he's commanded you, then you're going to be safe. So you can rest assured and you can rest confident in the fact that you're safe in him and that you don't have to worry about what men are going to try to do to you because you have him on your side. And it doesn't matter who judges you on this earth. The ultimate judgment is going to come from the Lord and you're safe there. Um, then we come to the whole, a whole other one when it comes to going back to the fear of man. And that's the fear of unbelievers. And um, the fear of unbelievers can be a real battle for us because a lot of us want to be liked and accepted, you know. There's some of us here and there where we just, 
don't really care what people think and you just kind of do whatever or, or you've done it enough to where it just doesn't bother you anymore. Um, but sometimes you still have that creep in where you, you want to be liked and accepted. You don't want to feel rejected. So you get worried about what those other people are going to think. Um, especially if you work for a, a non-Christian company or with your business, you spend a lot of time around non-Christian clients and customers. Um, as soon as you start mentioning Jesus and how he died for them and their sin, it gets real uncomfortable, right? You can, you can tell them, I go to church. You can tell them, oh, yeah, I'm super involved in my church. I do this ministry. I do that ministry. And they're like, oh, well, good for you. That's great. But as soon as you turn it to them and their sin, it gets real awkward. And, you know, it can even feel at times where, oh, if I do this, then, you know, it goes against my HR policy. Or uh, if I tell this person about God, then they're not going to want to use me for my business again. Or, you know, there can be a lot of different thoughts that come into your mind and reasons that you're going to justify not doing what you know the Lord wants you to. Um, and some people, you know, they even, they get angry. And it's kind of... It's kind of just what you've come to expect. You know, often we'll, we'll think the worst, right? We'll think, well, if I go pass out that tract or I give that door hanger or I go talk to this person and tell them that they're a sinner and that they need Christ, then they're going to get angry at me. But when you actually go out and talk to people, most of the time you find out that whatever your worst idea was going to happen isn't, and it's usually better than your best case. And people are much more willing to listen than you realize, and you just talk yourself into this um, you talk yourself out of it because you're, you're worried about what they're going to think or do when oftentimes they won't. And that's because we're leaning on our own understanding and we're not leaning on the Lord and what uh, he's telling us. Um, it's kind of like, so imagine you're just like, the gospel is, uh, it's like you have horrible stomach pain, right? And you go to the doctor and there's just like this inner turmoil, like no matter what you do, you just constantly have this pain inside. And you go to the doctor and he checks you out and he's like, well, what, what, what do you, what's your diet? What do you normally eat? And you're like, well, I eat like rice, chicken, broccoli. Every once in a while, you know, once a month I might have some McDonald's and yeah, that's about it. And he's like, is there anything else? And you're like, well, I have about 10 Mountain Dews a day and I have been for the last 40 years. And so he's like, well, I know this is going to be kind of shocking to you, but you got stomach cancer. And you're like, man, okay. And, and he's like, but it's going to last you for all of eternity. And you're like, well, okay. And he's like, but I got the cure for it. And you're like, oh, nice. What does it cost? Oh, you, you can't afford it. You can't pay for it. And you're like, oh. And he's like, but I paid for it all. And so you just have to believe I paid for you, and then you can have it, right? Like, would any of us say that's bad news? I don't think anyone would say that's bad news, but that's literally what Christ did for us, right? So, I mean, when you, when you stop and think about the gospel at its core, right, there's nothing about it that's bad news. It's totally just Satan and the devil and the devil's spirit um, making people think that it's bad news when really there's, there's nothing condescending, there's nothing harsh about it. And so you got to get this idea out of your mind that, like, the gospel is uh, rough, as far as like the content of it, the only reason that it uh, is rough is because it's Jesus Christ and their, uh, their father is the devil and the devil doesn't like Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some more things. Why? Um, and uh, so over in John, John 3, this is the real reason why they don't like to hear the gospel, not because it's bad news, um, 
but because it reproves their sin. In 19 of John 3, and this is the condemnation that light is coming into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So that's the whole reason why when you go to give out the gospel, men aren't going to like it, and you're going to get pushback, is because they know what they've done is evil, and they're trying to lie to themselves, and they're trying to hide it. And so when you give them the light of the gospel, it, it shows them their true state. It shows them their true self. And no one likes to be told that they're bad. Um, and so you just got to remember that when you're going into it, that it's a normal reaction if someone doesn't like it. And um, if they're rejecting you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Uh, over in John 15, so we'll turn over a few to 15, Jesus says that exact thing. In John 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sin. But now... They have both seen and hated both me and my father. So it's because of their sin, right? Because they didn't even know they had sin before the gospel. And now the gospel is making them confront their sin. And that's a hard thing for them to do. Um, and so, I mean, that's also why you got to keep in mind that when you're dealing with someone um, with the gospel, it, it is, even though it's good news, it's still kind of a slap across their face, right? It's like getting that cancer diagnosis of, well, you know, I thought I just, whatever, and then it's like, oh, no, you're dying, right? And you're just kind of like, whoa, like, that wasn't the news I expected. And that's how it is to a lost man when you show him the gospel is it's, hey, like, all this trouble you're having, it's because you're a sinner and you're dying and you're going to hell. And that's not something that they, that's not something that people tell people in the world, right? right. They tell them, oh, well, you're so good and you can do it yourself. And if you just really dig deep or you get the good self-help books or you go down to the food bank and volunteer on Saturdays, then you'll feel a little better, right? Um, but that's not God's way of doing it. Uh, the other thing is they are going to hate you. So, you know, you shouldn't be going around giving them reasons to hate you. Um, but it's going to happen from time to time where someone's going to be hostile and they're going to hate you and they're not going to like you for what you have to say. And you just need to know that's normal, right? And that's what's going to happen when you're putting out the gospel. And if you're putting out the gospel and that doesn't happen, then you might think about how you're doing it because maybe you're not doing it right, right? I mean, it's kind of a, a weird way to gauge it. You know, you don't want everyone you deal with to be a harsh interaction, but if you don't get one harsh person here or there, then maybe you're not putting it out the way you're supposed to. Um, the other thing you have to do is be careful not to hate them back. 
because when someone hates you, it can get real easy to hate someone back, right? You know, uh, over in Luke 6, the Lord talks about this, is how um, even the world loves the people who love them, right? It's, it's easy to love someone who loves you. It's much harder to love someone who doesn't love you. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. If ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also even do the same. If ye lend to them of whom ye have hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be children of the highest, for he is kind to, unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. I really like the last part where it says he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And, you know, before Christ, that's what I was. I was unthankful and I was evil. And even now, sometimes I'm unthankful and I'm evil, right? And uh, he's still kind to us. He's still merciful to us. And so we got to, we have to remember that when there's someone who's really just making it hard for us, is really going out of their way to uh, aggravate us or just poke at us, is that the Lord was merciful and kind to us. And so we can do that too. And if we're only kind and merciful to the people who are kind to us if we're only helping out the people who are helping out us he's saying what difference do you have than any other sinner in the world because they can all do that to each other and so you think that you being kind to someone who's kind to you is anything special like everyone does that what what makes you special is when you're merciful and kind to someone who hates you um i think of a story my my dad told me where he, so he was in the Coast Guard and he was stationed on a few different ships. And there was this one guy, and I, I don't remember what his name was, but um, he was on the ship for him for six months straight, right? You're stuck with each other. And he said nonstop, the guy would just make fun of him for being a Christian, would just call him names, would intentionally just do stuff to try and get a reaction out of him, right? Just constantly provoking him, constantly provoking him. And then after that deployment, they got sent separate places. And... Um, it was like five or six years later, he gets a call on the phone and it's like, hey, who is this? And it's, oh, this is so-and-so. I just was calling to apologize to you because I'm a Christian now. And so, you know, you don't always know what the, uh, what the effect could be. It could be that you tolerating someone and not um, snapping back at them, not being mean back at them. It could be several years down the road before something ever happens, but the testimony that you showed by not hating them back could have been something that helped lead them to the Lord. Um, turn over to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 21 through 22. And so I just say that, you know, just any opportunity you get to show kindness or mercy to someone who's outside the faith do it you know um and as we're gonna see here in proverbs 25 verse 21 the lord will reward you for it it doesn't matter if they appreciate it it doesn't matter if they uh, throw it back in your face the lord will reward you if thine enemy be hungry give him bread to eat and if he be thirsty give him water to drink for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head and the lord shall reward thee 
And so often that verse, we emphasize the, you'll heap coals of fire upon his head, like the Lord will get them back for you. Just throw those coals of fire on him. But we really should focus on that land part. The, the Lord's going to reward you for it, right? It's, you're not going to care when you get to heaven, like, oh, how many coals did you put on his head? Were they like, was it lump charcoal or was it little briquettes, right? Like, you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm getting a reward from the Lord. I'm getting the, a pat on the back from the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's going to be much better than anything else you might get. Um, <clears throat> let's turn over to Numbers 14. Sometimes the fear of man is going to seem like a, a legitimate risk, right? You know, you're going to look at it and um, the things that you could suffer, the loss that you could suffer is legitimately going to be there. It may be a lot. It could damage you. It could damage your family. It could even be to the point of death. Like, you know, over here in America, we don't have that so much, but especially other places in the world, death's a very real possibility for um, proclaiming the truth. And um, here we're going to see the children of Israel and where they, uh, they fell into the trap of looking at the circumstances rather than trusting on the Lord. So in Numbers 14, chapter 6, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb of Jephaniah, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us, and their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So Joshua and Caleb, right, they got a hold of the fact that the Lord told us to do it. The Lord's taken their defense from them, and they're bread for us. So, like, they're literally going to be our provision, these people of this land. Um, but the rest of the children of Israel, they didn't like the fact that Caleb and Joshua were telling them the truth. Um, even to the point where in verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. So they're like, well, you said the Lord's going to take care of us. You said the Lord's taken the defense from us. We know the Lord told us to go in there, but we don't like that. So we're just going to kill you guys for speaking for the Lord. Um, and so, I mean, it's their own people who are turning against them in this instance. And then in verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs that I have showed among them? So, I mean, the Lord, I'm sure he's done some things in your life. He's showed himself strong. He's showed himself mighty in some ways. So then the question is, um, how long before you're going to believe him, right? So if you're, if you're getting to that point where you're fearing man, where you don't see how what the Lord's telling you to do can work out, um, how long before you're going to believe him? Has, has he done it for you before? Has he carried you through before? Has he... Has he done some works or some signs in your life? If the answer is yes, then just believe him. Hold him at his word. Place your trust in him. Um, but the people, they were, they were caught in that snare of fear, right? And they just didn't want to do anything. They were afraid that if they went to the land, they were going to die. Um, and they didn't want the discomfort of having to go fight. Uh, pastor kind of sort of started getting into it Sunday morning, um, which was kind of kind of my fault because... I was, I was unsure if this was what I was supposed to preach. And I was like, Lord, could you just make it very clear that this is what you want me to preach? And then he's like, turn to Acts. 
and then like goes directly to the passage that I had in my notes and then like starts preaching on it. And I was like, okay, okay, Lord, I get it, I get it. Like, ha- have him go back to Acts real quick before he preaches my whole sermon. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they didn't want the discomfort. And then they wanted to kill the people who were telling them the truth about themselves, right? They didn't appreciate the truth. They didn't appreciate that someone was telling them how it is that someone was telling them that Jesus was the answer or that God was the answer in this case and was going to carry them through. Um, uh, back over to Numbers 13, so back a chapter, 13.23. And they came, so this is once they've gone into the land to spy it out, right? So this is the events prior to what just took place. And they came unto the brook of uh, Eshkel, and cut down from thence a, gra- a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought the pomegranates and the figs, and the place of the brook Eshel was called would beca- and the place was called the brook of Eshel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. So I mean, it's got to be a pretty big cluster of grapes if you're going to name a place and a river after some grapes, right? After a single cluster of grapes. Um, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And when they came unto Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh, and brought back the word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So it was a land that had a lot of potential, right? had a lot of provision, had a lot of fruit, had a lot of milk and honey. And that can be the same way in your life where maybe there's something in your life where God wants you to go do a work there. He wants you to go do something for him there. And there's a lot of fruit. There's a lot of abundance there to be had. And he wants you to have it. He wants to give it to you. But in verse 28, nevertheless, the people that be, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. But then we get to thinking and we're like, well, you want me to go do that, but I just, I just don't see how we can. I'm not strong enough to fight those people. We left our ladders and our grappling hooks back in Egypt. Like, how are we going to get over these walls? And the Lord, you know, he's just like, guys, like, you're thinking way too far ahead, way too many details. If I told you how I was going to take down the walls, you wouldn't go either. Like, yeah, let me tell you ahead of time. So what you're going to do is you're going to march around this wall for six days, carrying the Ark of the Lord, and you're going to sing and have trumpets and just just six days walk around it once. Then on the seventh day, I'm going to have you guys walk around it seven times. And then when you're done, you're going to shout really loud, and all the walls are just going to fall down. Like, I don't think that would have assured them much either. Uh, and that's why sometimes you got to take it step by step because if the Lord were to lay out all his plans, you'd be like, that, that still doesn't make sense to me. Like, I still don't get it. And so you just got to take it a step at a time because if, if you try and follow what he has as like the big picture, you're not going to get it because his ways are not our ways. Um, you know, you can kind of do that with kids sometimes either where it's like you try and tell them, explain to them, like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. And they're just like, huh? And then you're like, okay, just never mind. Just do it one step at a time. Like, do this, and then come find me when you're done with that, and we'll get you something else to move on to. 
because they just they can't comprehend it, just like our brains can't comprehend everything that the Lord's trying to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if you did, sometimes you just struggle and struggle with it. That's the way the Lord has it set up, is so that if you try to do it yourself, you're going to struggle all day long. It's like doing plumbing or something, and you think it's a right-hand thread, and it's a left-hand thread. And you're sitting there, and you're like, why won't this thing thread in? You're taking a wire brush and cleaning the threads. You're looking at the threads. And then someone walks over, and they're like, what you doing? Oh, I can't get this thing to start. And they're just like, and you're like, oh. like, I'm an idiot. Like, I've been sitting here for 15 minutes trying to thread this fitting on, and you just did it in, like, five seconds. And that's the same way it is with the Lord, right? Where, you know, sometimes he's just going to, he's giving you an impossible task to see, are you going to quit? Or are you going to do what he says and try and do it? And then once you actually get going in the right direction, then he comes in and he goes, okay, this is, the, this is how we're going to do it. Like, I know you thought like this, but you're never going to get it done that way, so let's do it my way. Um, but, you know, if you quit, right, then you quit, and that's all there is. He can't work with you if you quit. He can only work with you if you're trying to do something. And that's just how the, how the Lord's going to test you. Um, he wants to know if you're going to believe and trust him by the power of his might, or are you just going to trust in your own power and forget your faith in God? Uh, the Lord has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Uh, but then, you know, you might stop and think, well, if I go leave that door hanger up there or talk to that person, I might get shot at because that's a little creepy looking front porch or... Uh, you know, they might yell at me, or they might hit me, and I've, I've heard stories of guys getting hit street preaching, it's like, yeah, they might hit you, and it, it might happen, um, but the, the Lord, he's not going to leave you or forsake you through that whole time, so I mean, they're only going to do as much to you as he wants them to, so whatever happens, the Lord, the Lord wanted it to happen, and it's a whole lot easier to swallow and handle, okay, this happened to me because the Lord wanted it, rather than, did this happen to me because I was just being kind of dumb. Um, over in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verse What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the roof upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we know the last part of that verse, right? That that doesn't apply to us. We're not gonna have our, our souls and our bodies destroyed in hell once you're saved. Um, but he says to preach it upon the housetops. And don't fear them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. So if you're in Christ, they can't kill your soul. So really, what is there to fear um, is what he's getting at. Um, and then down in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So, hey, you guys can all pat yourselves on the back. You're of more value than many sparrows, right? I don't know if you knew that coming in here today, but, like, Toby, you're worth at least more than five. Carly, I'll give you, like, you know, 15. Uh, Jesse, seven, maybe. You're a little more special than Toby. <laughs> you're, you're a little higher up on the chain of command in Clark Fourth, so that gets you, like, an extra two sparrows. Um, but all joking aside, right, I mean, if he cares for even the smallest of birds, uh, he's going to care about you, and he's gonna, you're not going to get killed or taken out of the race before he's done with you, if you're seeking to serve him and you're seeking to live for him. Um, but in verse 28, you know, the end of that verse is, but fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, and that's what's... Um, that's what's waiting for the lost if we don't speak up for them. Uh, and so we don't need to be having a fear for man, but we should be having a fear, or not, we, we should not have a fear of man, but a fear for man, yeah. and a fear for man's souls and where it's going, because they're headed to hell, and the devil wants them there, and the devil wants to destroy them and wants to torment them for all of eternity. And um, over in Romans 10, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And um, we'll turn over there because there's a few verses to read along with that. But they can't get to that point without us. In verse 14 of Romans 10, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe in him in, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So first, you must be sent. And we know we're sent. You must preach. And then th those are the two commands for you. And then there's two commands for them. They must hear and they must believe. So you shouldn't be concerning yourself about whether or not they choose to hear or believe um, if you're preaching and uh, putting out the word. Because ultimately, once you've preached and it's gone to them to hear, then it's up to them, and then it's the Holy Spirit who's going to come in and convict them and draw men to the Father. And so um, you just need to know if you're sent, and if you're sent, okay, where are you going? And then once you're going there, be faithful to preach the gospel. And in verse 15, it says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And so I just find it kind of interesting that he's talking about the feet, right? Um, which to me indicates that they're actively doing something. They're not just sitting on the couch. They're not just standing around waiting. They're act actively moving, walking around, trying to get the gospel out, trying to reach those lost souls. Um, and if we back up to verse 8 in the same chapter, uh, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. So that's what we're to be preaching is the word of faith and the words nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. So we already have it in our mouth and in our heart. I mean, if you've been attending this church for really any period of time, it's, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart if you've been paying attention. Um, so you already have the, the tools that you need. So... Don't get caught up in this mindset of, well, I can't do it because 
I'm not good enough or I'm going to make a mess of it or um, I'm going to fail or I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, just rest confident in the fact that you are going to mess it up and you are going to say the wrong thing. And that's just a part of growing and that's just a part of learning. Um, you know, I was, I was talking with one of the, the master techs at Honda the other day and I had a car that was just, it was very difficult and I was struggling with it. And um, he ended up taking it and fixing it and I like was talking to him after and I was like, man, it's just really frustrating to um, not have this thing figured out or to not fully understand this system. And he goes, well, everything you did up to the point I took it was correct, but you just don't have the experience. And that's all it is, is you just need experience. And so, and it's the same way in our Christian life where you're gonna go do things and it's just gonna feel like you're beating your head against the wall. You don't know what's the right thing to do, or you're just, uh, you're fumbling over your words, you're saying the wrong thing. And the only way that you're gonna get better is by experience. And the only way you're gonna get experience is by doing it. Um, and you know, sometimes you might be able to shortcut that a little bit by humbling yourself and finding someone who has a better handle on it and submitting yourself to their teaching and having them help you out and, you know, having them kind of just guide you along the way and, hey, I've done that it that way before and this is what happens when you do it that way. Don't do this or, or say it this way instead. And the only way you're going to get that is if you swallow your pride and find someone to humble yourself under to teach you those things. Um, And then also it goes back to if you're afraid of saying what you have because you're afraid the men's going to reject you, um, stop making it about you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. And so you just need to put him out and stop taking it personal um, because it's not an attack against you. It's an attack on Christ. Uh, we're going to turn over to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy one verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you do have those feelings of fear creeping in, just know. It's not God's spirit, and you need to pray to God and ask him to take that from you and help, that, help you with that because that's not the spirit he's given us. He's given us the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. So, I mean, really, if you're struggling with any of those, right, then you need to, to ask God to take it from you. If, you. if you can't find love for people, if you can't find power over something, if you just mentally can't um, feel sound in your mind, then the Lord can help you out with that, and that's not the spirit that he wants you to have, and he wants to give you help with that. Um, over in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all man forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood but with me and strengthened me, 
that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So it doesn't matter what men choose to go with you, what men choose to go by your side, right? The, the Lord will still be with you. And in Paul's case, and he delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. And obviously that wasn't a literal lion. It was a, a figurative lion. It's the same way for us, right? If you're, if you're doing the Lord's will, even if no one else wants to go with you, the Lord's going to keep you safe. And you notice that he didn't deliver him from just the lion. He delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. Like he got close enough to smell the lion's breath and to feel the lion's teeth and to look at just how pointy and sharp they were. Like he got pretty close with it, with the danger before the Lord saved him from it. Um, so just remember that when it, it seems impossible, it seems hard, it seems like there's not really a way to go logically, it doesn't make sense that that. It's just God testing you and seeing if you're going to rely on your strength or if you're going to rely on his strength. Um, mixed up my notes. You're going to have to take him at his word and rely on him or just get paralyzed, caught in that snare of indecision. You know, when you're caught in that snare, you, you don't really go anywhere. And you might, you might feel comfortable for a little bit, you know, whatever food tempted you into it, right? You're going to be able to nibble on it for a little bit and be okay, but um, once that's gone, then it's going to set in that, oh, I'm stuck, and basically you're just going to sit there and wait for death or a savior. Yeah. Um, we're going to go back over to, so keep a finger, we're going to be in John to end, First John 4 to end, but we're going to turn back over to Matthew 10. last two places. Matthew 10, 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You can make excuses all day long for uh, why you didn't do what God wanted you to do, why you didn't witness for him, why you didn't speak up for him, why you didn't talk to the guy who works next to you, why you didn't talk to your, your family member, whatever it may be, right? And uh, those excuses may seem legitimate to you. They may seem legitimate to others. The reasons why you missed whatever may seem legitimate. Um, you may cover it up and you may, it may not, no one may know that you're struggling with fear and that's the reason why you're not doing it. Um, but the verse tells us to, Fear them not, therefore, for there's nothing covered that shall not be uncovered. So even if you cover it now, one day it's going to be uncovered. And you're going to have to stand up in heaven and answer God and tell him with no excuses why you did it. And, you know, some of the questions I imagine you might ask is, did you forget that my son saved you from your sin? Like, did, did you just forget that he did that for you and he could have done that for them too? Um, did you not think it mattered anymore? Did you um, forget that the guy who you worked next to, that he was going to burn in hell for eternity if you didn't open your mouth and say something for him? And so even though now it might be more comfortable to not open your mouth or not do whatever he's telling you to, um, it's not going to be more comfortable when you get up to heaven and have to 
face-to-face, tell him why you did what you did. Um, we'll turn over to 1 John 4. That's where we're going to end. First John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. For we have known and believed that the love of God hath to us. God is love, and, that he, dwe- and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So, you know, if if you're not telling someone that they're destined for hell, right, to burn for all of eternity, are you really loving them, right? If you have a child who's going to go up and touch a wood stove or crawl into a fireplace that's lit and you don't warn the child at all, you just, yeah, I'll just let them go in there and they'll figure it out, right? Would you, could you really say honestly that you love that child? No, you couldn't. The same way as those people that you've seen and you've come into contact with, if you're not warning them about the, uh, the danger of their soul, are you really loving them? Or are you hating them? Or is it just that by default, because you're comfortable and don't want to be uncomfortable, that you're allowing yourself to hate them and you're not warning them of the danger to come and of the judgment that they're going to have to face? Um, that the verses say that there is no fear in love. And if I don't tell others about Jesus Christ, I'm just not loving, I'm plain and simple. Uh, It's up to them to hear, ultimately, but they can't hear if I don't tell them. So when you fear the fear of man and anxiety creep in about speaking the gospel or you just don't want to annoy someone, um, I know that's something for me. Is like I really don't like being annoyed when I'm out and about. Like if someone wants to stop and talk to me, like, I really don't care to have a conversation with that many people. Um, but uh, so then when I go to give a tract out, then I justify it by, well, oh, I'd just be annoying that person. Or I'd just be, you know, it'd just be inconvenient for them. But it's, it's not inconvenient for them if it saves their soul from hell, right? And it's just all these, these excuses that just once you get up to heaven and you tell them to God face to face, you're just going to be like, yeah, I, I really didn't think that through before I used that excuse. Um, so just know it's going to be it's easier now to do nothing uh, but it won't be easier when you get to heaven and have to explain why your love and your comfort was greater than your love of God and of his son so pray and then we'll close dear Lord just um, thank you for uh, your word and the truth that's within it and just um, your patience and your long suffering with us and just uh for how you gently guide us and you don't um, you don't give us the punishment that we so often deserve and just uh, I pray that we remember that and that we would just show mercy to others as you show mercy to us and that you would just give us uh, 
opportunities this week to um, put ourselves out for you and just uh, maybe make ourselves a little bit uncomfortable for you and that you would just um, give us the grace and the strength to do it and that you would just give us the, the wisdom in dealing with others and seeking to point them to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.